You're listening to the World Football Program with all the latest updates from both local and international football. Morning WA, my name's Sean Kelly, this is the World Football Programme. Thank you very much to Frank and Jerry, another wonderful Celtic Ramblings programme. In two hours, Lenny will be in with the Jazz Show, and joining me in the studio is a slightly worse for wear, <laughs> A-League stats man, Pete Keeler. Pete, good morning, how are you, mate? Um, not exactly feeling the best today, but um, yeah, we'll get through, we'll get through. Oh, well, yeah, that's what happens when you drink some of the Swan Valley's finest. Yeah. <laughs> Bickley Valley in this case. But yeah. Oh, well, Bickley even better. <laughs> All righty. Um, big show today. We've got uh, a few guests come, well, we're coming on air, which will be starting off with Sarah King. Sarah is um, connected to the program through Josh, Jonathan Washington King, but uh, she's a referee down in the southwest, was a player, and we'll talk to her about the World Cup and the... Um, Effect it's having down there in the southwest on the girls' game. Uh, John O'Reilly, the head coach of Armadale, will join us to talk a little bit about Armadale and how they're going. Yep. And then we'll we'll pick John's brains about his thoughts on uh, world football because um, he's quite a scholar in those things. Right. Uh, then we've got Hayley Roach, the lost lioness. She's going to be talking up the World Cup, uh, the Women's World Cup, obviously um, a what, month to go. Um, Everyone's really looking forward to it, and um, you know we're we're all looking forward to um, the competition. The, the, I think the trophy's coming out in, the, in about yep. three weeks, yeah, yeah. Um, so the big tour's coming through. So it's really starting to build up. Sam Kerr the other day was in immortalised Lego, yeah. in Lego. First Australian ever to be immortalised in Lego. I was disappointed I didn't see anyone from our radio program get a selfie with her there. I assumed one of us would have gone there for a for a photo. Yeah, I 
thought that would be pen, but yeah. Yeah, go. me yeah. too. <laughs> when I say anyone, it's like I assumed it yeah. was pen. Well, there's a couple of aspiring Matildas as well could have gone. Um, and we will then finish up with Greg Farrell, who is with Futsal WA, sponsor of the programme, um, and well-grounded in the women's game and in the local WNPL. So yep. uh, we'll talk to him as well. In news, obviously, we can't go past the passing of Raleigh Rasic. Yeah. Um, what a great, um, what a great ambassador for bo- fo- football he has been, um, and he's um, changed the way Australians looked at soccer and, and football in general. Um, Seventy-four first World Cup we ever made it to. Um, you know, I was living in England at the time, and even I thought that was a big thing for Australia then. Yeah, and not knowing that I was going to come out here at that stage and, and live here, um, so yeah, really put Australia on the map. And a lot of what he built is, you know, the legacy of the, the Socceroos and obviously the Matildas going forward. Um, Socceroos, 2-0 to Argentina. Yeah, I'll take that as a result. Um, yeah. I, I, know, I know Penny hates it when I say this, but, you know, it was only a friendly match. Yeah. Um, so nothing really on the line, but still a <laughs> decent result from from the lads. And um, as, as I said to you off air, when, when you're... 60 seconds in and you've conceded a goal, that's when you think, oh, yeah, the floodgate's going to open. This is going to get embarrassing. But, um, you know, the, the the team did well and, you know, 2-0 is a respectable result. I thought 2-0 was a respectable result. And, you know, um, it's only a friendly or something spoken by people who never played in friendlies. So I've, <laughs> I've played a couple of friendlies. I can tell you there is nothing friendly about a friendly. Oh, I've played in friendlies too, but you know, yeah. compare that to a you know, proper match, or like a, a competitive match. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm digging a hole here. <laughs> uh, the Oli Roos lost 2 1 to Panama. Um, France were beaten by Mexico, so it's now Panama and Mexico in the final yep. for the the, um, the cup there, which the leaves. Morris Ravello tournament. That's the one. Yeah. Yep. Um, I couldn't get my Anglo Saxon around that. Um, <laughs> So the only reason they're going to play off for third place against France, which, you know, when people talk about how um, football development goes and the the, the football development path, um, seven of that squad came from WA. Uh, yeah. Shows that we were actually doing pretty well. Um, but to be in there in the, the top four, playing off against France for third and fourth, got to be happy with that. Oh, yeah, that's 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 certainly an achievement for the lads and, and bodes well for the future. And the Joeys lost 2-0 to uh, Saudi, Saudi Arabia. Arabia. Yeah. Uh, look, Saudi Arabia pump a lot of money into development, but that's not a bad thing. I think they've got to... No, I would, I, would ex- I would call that a disappointing result. Yeah. You know? Uh, I think they're, they're very strong. Yeah. yeah so, they... uh, and, and we've got uh, China next. Uh, yeah. So th- this is the uh, Under-17 Asian Cup, which again has a... Number of glory players in it, like youth players in it. Yes, um, yeah, it does. It's three or three four, or four in it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then and then Tajikistan. But uh, top two in the group go through. So yeah, well, if we can beat China, we can beat Tajikistan. We'll get through to the second round then. Yeah, but I think we've also got to realise that the money that's pumped into these competitions by um, countries like China and South Korea. Yep, it's going to make a massive difference at that age. Oh yeah, 
absolutely. So, you know, whilst we look at it and go, yeah, it's disappointing, it's it's not... What's disappointing is we don't pump anywhere near the money <laughs> into it. You know, and that's what we need to be developing youth. We've got the youth that can do it. We just need to be developing them more. But, uh, look, it's not the best start, but it's not an awful start. And then, uh, last of all, is Kenny Lowe is now the interim coach for Perth Glory. Oh, that's a familiar name. Very well. He's a, good, he's a decent bloke. Yeah, apparently. Yeah, yeah, yeah I've heard, yeah, yeah. That. heard that myself. <laughs> no, look, I think um, at the moment the the, the uh, management's in a uh, state of flux. We don't know whether it's going to be a new person in. We don't know whether Sage is going to stay on. We don't know whether everyone drops out and it ends up being known by the FA. So you're not going to be able to assign or, or to bring in a new coach with all of that mm. doubt. So I think, you know, bringing Kenny in, very experienced um, been working with the squad, knows them inside out. So I think, you know, look, it's the appointment they had to make. I think Chris Coyne would have been a good go as well, but um, I don't know what the issues there are, but um, I would have liked to have seen Chris have a crack. Yep. But, um, no, look, at the end of the day, we're... And, we've... and what, what's actually sort of go, go... What goes on at this point? So the season's over, the A-League season's over. Yep. The men presumably all zip, take off on holidays. End well, of the some of them take off permanently. They dropped seven out of the squad, so... I was yep, surprised. Okay. Yeah. yeah, but um, I, I was surprised Jack Duncan and um, Bert Gilroy. Bert Gilroy, I was were, disappointed were to see his go. name on the on the yeah. uh, list of names. Uh, although that, that said, he wasn't quite as young as I thought he was. Too. I think no. he's twenty four, twenty five now. I sort of had in my mind, yeah. I sort of had him as like about you know late teens, early twenties sort of. Yeah, thing. and then you got Mitch Oxborough also. I thought, yeah, yep. decent lad, but. Um, look, it is what it is, so let's let them go. But they've got the um, West Ham game coming up and yep. then they've also got the FA Cup game, which is in Darwin. In Dar- and you know what? Before you say it, I've got no problem with the FA re- moving that game. Yeah? Um, yeah, no, it's, uh, obviously I've, I've made my opinions clear on the uh, moving of the grand final. But for the FA Cup qualifier, if they want to do a tournament of football-y type thing, because I believe both... Both qualifying matches are going to be held up in Darwin, possibly the same day or one day apart or something. Yeah, I think that's that's good. You know, that's that's a good. Not the first time I've disagreed with you, Pete. I think we we should have been allowed to have that one. <laughs> but there you go. Really? <laughs> You're happy to give up the grand final, but qualifying tour, qualifying matches that that we should have had the home grand for that. Well, one. there's more chance I'd go to an away grand final in Sydney than there is I go to a qualifying game in Darwin. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, from that perspective, that's that's where I sit with it. But, you know, look, as I said, not the first time we've disagreed. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that's healthy. Yeah. But, um, no, I think, again, it's just FA just doing over glory or, the, or WA. Um, you know, there, there are other games they could have moved up there if they wanted to. Such move, as? Move one of the Sydney games. I don't care. You know, I, I don't really care. I, just, I wanted to have our game at home. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm actually just trying to see now who the, who the other game is. So I think we're playing MacArthur, and you'd think I'd have this all, all sorted out, but I don't. You would think so, Pete. One yeah. job. Yeah, one job. <laughs> okay, no, no, look, I'm just thinking I don't disagree with them having a game up in Darwin and, and doing that, but it seems to be that, you know, whenever we've got an opportunity to do over the West, let's do over the West. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know, and, and we certainly it's did very get... very partisan um, view of me, but yeah. Did, no, no, we certainly did get screwed over by the um, the first two finals for the yep. FA, FFA Cup, the Australia Cup. Uh, Glory qualified for both, and both times it was deemed to be better to have it not in Perth. Well, but by, by, you know, uh, right, we, we won the toss, but they still moved it anyway, so... Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
I know, it's crazy. Well, even, even, even if you had a said, even if the first one was a toss of the coin and we lost it, you'd still, I think the glory had a fair case to say the second time in a row when we qualified for the final to say, all right, well, this now it's our yeah. turn. But, uh. but it doesn't fit in with the TV schedules. So, yeah, so, you know, that's 10 o'clock on a Tuesday night in, in Sydney, Melbourne. Yeah, it's, it's all that matters. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure there's ways around that. Yeah, there is. Play the final in Sydney. <laughs> <laughs> Other ways around. <laughs> All right, mate. Okay, um, so we're going to move to an ad break. We'll be back after this with Sarah King and uh, we'll be talking women's football. You're listening to Radio Fremantle 107.9. Oswest Fencing and Wrought Iron is a fourth generation family business. Ring us about your custom gate and fence projects. We can manufacture, install or automate your gates, offer electronic security or simply just provide sound advice. Let our family look after your family. Oswest Fencing and Wrought Iron. Call us on 9258-6822. Station sponsor. You're listening to Community Radio, powered by passionate football volunteers, just like myself. You can appreciate the entertainment by becoming a station member. Hi, I'm Phil Kelly, Chair of the Football West Men's State League Standing Committee. Listen in next for Western Australian local football news. listening to Radio Fremantle 107.9. And just before we dive in, I've looked it up. So it is uh, two separate days. So Newcastle against uh, Melbourne Victory on Monday the 17th and then the Glory playing MacArthur on Tuesday the 18th up in Darwin. Absolutely. All right. And um, one of those ads there was um, regular contributor to the program, yep. Phil Kelly, who congratulations on becoming a life member of Football West. Hmm. Massive achievement. Okay, joining us now is Sarah King, who is in, heavily involved in women's football in the southwest and has been for a while, and is is now a referee. Good morning, Sarah. How are you? Good morning, Sean. I'm good, thanks. How are you? Good. How's things down there in the sunny southwest? <laughs> well, it is actually sunny today. Um, yeah, beautiful. Things are going well. Um, our referee branch has uh, been um, recruiting some some young cadets, uh, which has certainly helped to bolster our ranks, but we're still obviously um, looking for more referees, so I just thought I'd put a little plug in there. <laughs> Everyone's looking for more referees. If you if you enjoy being abused for 90 minutes... <laughs> um, just for 90 minutes, you Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, yeah, we'll have 90 after probably as well, but, you know, look, it's, I've refereed a few games myself, and I know that I'm doing okay when both sides are abusing me. <laughs> so, it's the only yeah, way. Yeah, well, I mean, you get paid, so, yeah. you know, it's good money. Oh, no, look, I think for when you look at the, the money you can pick up, up, um, particularly if you're 
involved in refereeing junior games and the um, amateur games, um, you can pick up probably more money doing something, you know, being involved in a game you enjoy, particularly for, say, like a 14, 15, 16-year-old, than you will do flipping burgers. Mm. Um, so I think it's, it's actually a very good income stream for you if you want to go that way, um, and certainly better for you than, than flipping burgers. Mm. Absolutely. Well, I mean, I never sort of uh, had a dream of being a referee, like, because I was a player, obviously. Uh, but when you can't play anymore, you, you find other avenues. Yep. So, um, for me, as soon as I finished playing, I, I joined the referees' ranks and I stayed there for about five years uh, and then I, I started coaching again. So, um, But uh, this year, I'm back to the dark side, as Mick, our um, local president, likes to say. <laughs> He's been trying to tempt me back for about eight years and I've dabbled, you know, like I've filled in where I could and that sort of thing, not as an actual official. Yeah. Um, but this year I've gone back and done my level five and level four and uh, paid my branch fees, which is not very much. Um, and, and yeah, my second game will be tomorrow. So what's the, the health of the, of the game and particularly the, the, the female game in the southwest? Well, the passion has always been there. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got uh, multiple teams that have two sides, so in the um, Premier's uh, League and then the Premier Reserves. So that's always promising. Um, and I see recruitment drives regularly as well. And then, of course, we've got our people who have been involved in the game as a coach or an administrator for many years. Uh, some of them are, are players themselves. I was just talking to the Armsbury coach last year. Um, he unfortunately injured himself. So he hasn't been able to play, but he has continued to coach. His women's team. Yes, yeah. So well, some, get back to play, but that's generally the path into coaching is an injury. <laughs> Badly, but he was coaching before he was injured yeah. as well. So um, sometimes with a catastrophic injury, you can't actually return to coaching. But he he stuck with it. Hmm. So and and now he's just hopefully rehabilitated himself enough to get back into the game. But it just means, as you say, you know, you pop a nasty injury, you might not be able to play at the level that you used to. You can then start helping out in other areas in the club. Yeah. And that's what people have done down here. Oh, look, absolutely. And I think there's always room for someone in any club, no matter who you are, what skills you have. There's always a job and you can contribute as much or as little as you like. Um, and it's all appreciated. Indeed. Yes, that's for sure. <laughs> so, you know, you've got we had our bless his soul, John, who was in a wheelchair here for many years at the Bustleton Soccer Club. Um, we've had lots of people up in the um, other regions as well, in Bunbury and Harvey and Collie and Margaret River, who have uh, contributed, even if they're not physically able to coach or run the line or um, they're still there to support the club in other ways. And it's, you know, the, it's a, the feeling of having that support reverberates around the club to all of the players and uh, just makes the game even more enjoyable. Absolutely. I've said this for a long time. You know, football clubs are uh, community hubs. And, yep. you know, for, for myself as a new migrant coming into Australia, the, the soccer club opened up my social life and, and my avenue into employment and so many other a- aspects. And then when I moved for a job down to Albany, again, um, that my pathway into the community was through the soccer club. So I, I know how important those things are. And if, you, if you're supporting the club, the club supports you. Certainly does. And, you know, as you say, if you're going into a, a regional area or even a remote area, it's that lifeblood that just 
enables you to make your um, community connections and, uh, and, and I, like I said, it opens up avenues into other areas of your life. But at the very least, whenever I've moved, I've always known as a player, I was always going to have at least 16 mates yep. Yep. that were going to be, that I was going to see at least three times a week, sometimes more. And yeah, you, you sort of find your natural buddies within your team your team's always there for you and you all come from all walks of life you know um, football doesn't discriminate we can be from anywhere and we all join the same team when I was playing um, in England I had a girl who was the daughter of a lord is, is one of my defenders and one of the other defenders was a lady like common you know but she'd mm. come from humble beginnings and I they'll both in the same team. We're all the same when we put the jersey on. Mm. Absolutely. Um, now, the, the Women's World Cup this year, has that seen a surge in, in um, registrations or do you think that will come after the Cup? I think it'll come after. I haven't seen a lot of um, uh, merch and all that sort of stuff come through yet. I know it's starting to come, so that's brilliant. Uh, I just saw an advertisement uh, last night. Buffalo City was advertising that the World Cup itself, like the physical cup. Yes, is yep. doing doing the tour. Yeah, to Bustleson. Yes, doing the tour. I'm very excited. I think the last time I actually saw the World Cup was in about '91 or '92 in America yeah. after they'd just won it. So I was over on scholarship, and and I went to a, a massive conference, soccer conference, football <laughs> conference. It was huge. It was awesome. Yeah. And, of course, they'd just won the World Cup, so it was there. and um, We were able to get a photo with it and um, meet some of the players and all that sort of stuff. So I think it coming regionally, like, that's so exciting. I wonder how many places in Australia it's going to go to. Mm. Yeah, there's several. I think it's, it's just arrived in Melbourne, so it'll be doing the round of the country. And I think we're three weeks away from getting into Perth and then uh, I think it goes to Bustleton and after that. I'm not sure where it heads off to, but... I'm sure Pete will be the, the man who knows where it's headed. Um, but, look, it's important that we, we get out there and see it. And, and like you said, you know, you haven't seen it yourself for a, a while. Um, you, don't get a to while see, yeah. you don't get to see World Cups that often, you know. So yeah. it's, it's something we should all make an effort to go out and, and see. And, again, it's that, it just drives that interest in the game. You know, advertisers look at how many people are involved in these things and there's a massive amount of people involved in football. They just don't see it. Um, so yeah, look. If, if it doesn't matter where you are, um, you know, if you're in Perth and get to see the one in Perth, if you're in yep. um, the southwest, then Bustleton's a great place to head to. Yeah, and if the World Cup's there, just another excuse to go <laughs> to Bustleton. <laughs> Zero. That's <laughs> no, great. I've also seen things like like the stamps. Obviously, they've been around for a little while, but there's new ones coming yeah. out. Woolworths is releasing. I'm, I'm plugging Woolies, but they're releasing some coins. You know how they do coins, and they will only give them out of the um, till. Yeah. Yep. You can't buy them for the mint, so they're coming soon. That's really exciting. And something, you know, that we would never have heard of growing up in the 80s and 90s is I went to the shop to buy some chocolate because I'm a bit of a chocolate fiend. <laughs> and um, and there was a Matilda on there. I mean, it wasn't an actual person, but it was a female soccer player saying yeah. Matilda. And I thought, goodness me, like it's how far we've come is just amazing. Yeah. And, Absolutely. And I think football itself in Australia as well, the, 
Um, back when I was growing up, it was like it was a game that wasn't for Aussies, per se, it was for people from other countries. Mm. That's not the case anymore. No. No, look, and there's lots of things in those dark days. But even Lego, I mean, the first Australian to be immortalised in Lego is a football player, and it's a, a female football player. And I, I don't know how many people have, have picked up on that, is that, you know, Sam Kerr being the first Australian to be immortalised in Lego is a thing. And the fact that she is um, a female footballer is massive. Huge. It's just so humble, which comes back to oh, my hometown yeah. to Perth just trots on down to the local, um, you know, mall or whatever we call them. Yeah. And, you know, just cruise around, get some photos with the kids, does some pretty awesome, you know, press, um, comp, you know, meetings and stuff. <laughs> Oh, look, she's a, a great ambassador for the game, but but yeah. a great role model. And the way she conducts herself, you know, she is one of, if not the best footballer in the world right now. And she does not walk around with airs and graces. She's she's very approachable. Um, and all of those things that you want someone at that level to be humble about her ability, humble about what she does, and, you know, just so happy to be where she is in that thing. She, she's getting paid to do something she loves doing. Mm. And you can't ask for more, can you? No, <laughs> it's no. So awesome. Now, yeah, it's really great. If it's we go great. back to those, those dark days, um, you know, with another big story this week has been the um, seventy-five Asian Ladies Championship side that's been finally recognised as being the first Matildas, um, which is massive again. Um, and when you think about the, the history, there was a period in time where women weren't even allowed to play football, never mind, you know, have a team. Um, you just weren't allowed to play. Um, that team um, went over to um, Asia and played in the Asian Ladies Championship. Yes, a lot of them came from one club and there was, you know, some questions about the selection process, but they still represented Australia. And I know because, you know, you, you've gone to refereeing. My playing days are well well and truly gone, but I've just taken up um, walking football and we're headed to Malaysia in August um, to play in a uh, competition there. And we're thinking that the ladies' walking team that's going will be the first ladies' team walking football team to go outside Australia. Again, look, it's driven from clubs around WA, but um, again, for them, it's a massive thing to be going overseas and, and playing in an international competition. So, you know, when you look at it from those terms, what they did in 75 was immense. It was huge. And like you say, especially at a time where uh, not just women's football, but women in our society uh, was were growing their... Um, their rights and their their path into society, into the workforce, you know, working mothers and, yeah. So I think um, it was probably an era of great growth in our society as a whole and especially in our footballing community and and to see what they, you know, when you hear them talk and, like, then their coaches, because their coaches were men, yeah. you know, how passionate they were about their women footballers, how much they cared about their players. And, and all of the the, um, the organisation and uh, the you know having to fundraise all of that sort of stuff they were out selling raffle tickets. I know what that's like. Yeah. Sure you do too. Yeah, absolutely. You know, they, yeah. yeah, we still have to do it now. Yeah. You know, at the grassroots level, but for them at the international level to be doing that, uh, yeah, it's phenomenal. And and hats off to the um, football Australia for doing this research recognising where the grassroots came from 
and to finally recognise those women. I've seen um, Puma's got on board. Yep. Uh, I've seen some um, film clips of, of the ladies. Some of them are crying. Um, some of them, are, they're hugging each other. Like, it's, it's overwhelming um, emotion for those people involved. But I think also the Australian community as well. I know, like you said, there are, there is some controversy around it. Uh, but, I mean, what is the harm in recognising what people have done in the past? Well, I'm, I'm saying... They've never asked for it. In an, embryonic, you know? in an embryonic competition where there was a lack of anything nationally happening, some people, and yes, all sent around one particular club, got their together and they went they, they made it happen now, I don't worry about the selection process it's about what they actually did they went overseas and represented the nation and you, you can't say oh well there wasn't a proper selection thing. You know, who cares you know they, they were there they were playing in the golden green it's quite obvious in the photographs that they were very proud to be wearing a golden green mm-hmm. and I think that's, that's really all that matters and you know someone had to do the first one and they, and they did it and I suppose look for someone like yourself, who would have been uh, a young lady back then, um, you saw was, them. Uh, and, and let's, get, let's be clear about this. I was three. Three. Okay. <laughs> but, but but the thing is that they made they made it possible for you to then they did. They to, to go and represent did. Australia yourself at university level. Um, because if they hadn't have done that, they hadn't broken the back. It wouldn't happen. That's where it started. So it's mm. very important we we recognise those roots. They also started the club movement in the ACT, which yes. is where I was from. That type of thing started all of that snowballing as well because I didn't start playing women's football till uh, 1986. So I'd already been playing for um, six years in the boys' comp, six or seven years in the boys' competition. So, you know, that started all of that movement as well. And someone like Heather Reid would be able to give, fill you in on the background mm. of the 70s. But... By the time I came to start playing women's football in the ACT, there was already really quite well-established clubs. And, yeah, so, I mean, obviously in, in Canberra, we had the Australian Institute of Sport, which I've yeah. also watched grow over the years incredibly. So um, so that's an interesting history there too because when I was in year about 9 or 10, uh, the Australian Women's Soccer Association, the AWSA it was back then, tried to get me and about 14 other uh, in uh, internationals into the AIS yep. and they sent us out all the paperwork to fill out. I've still got it. <laughs> and, and it's, they've crossed out the women's bit because we were applying for the soccer, soccer, yeah. football. And, uh, yeah, they wouldn't let us in because we were women. It's crazy, isn't it? So you a think couple about of it. few years later, yeah. then there was a program for the women's footballers. But, I mean, I'd played boys soccer until I was 16 and I even played in the under nineteen. I didn't mm. care that they were boys. I knew most of them anyway. I, I would have been quite happy at the AIS with a yeah. mixed, you know, integrating with the boys. And, and you know, oh. at the time, and, and look at peop- our players now. Like, people talk about, oh, you know, when they played the youth team, the Australian team, or the American women played a youth boys team and they flogged them or whatever. It's like, yeah. that's not what it's about. No, you know, it's not. You know, you can, you can actually train together. You, you can, yes. Yeah. Uh, look, yeah. and we uh, at my club, we we had one of the um, Glory Fringe players was on our playing with our under eighteens. Um, she was only in her early twenties herself, but um, her game physically stepped up several notches from playing against boys. Sam Kerr herself says, "Play against boys for as long as you can." 
Um, and one of the reasons she's so strong is she played against boys. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think there's anything wrong with it. Um, you know, the the boys that we, our young lady played against didn't give her any quarter. She was just another player to them. Um, yep. You know, and it was great to, to watch the growth in the physical side of her game because she was technically very, very good. But it was the, the physical side of the game. There's, um, you know, the one percenters that you just can't, training to someone you've got to go out there and actually do it yeah you've got to have it yeah and look from my experience and this is back in the 80s is the boys my boys loved me they didn't care it didn't matter no. that i was a girl it wasn't even relevant no but we, if, we to, if we were playing against a team who hadn't didn't know me or didn't meet me you sort of see them elbowing each other and having a bit of oh they've got a girl in gold <laughs> well they weren't laughing at the end of the game no <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely not. And I think, look, that's, it's a very important part. You're just another player. And I think when you're playing yeah. in a game environment, um, you're judged on how you, you move the ball and what you do with the ball, not about your gender. And mm. look, we've got mixed teams in the walking football and, you know, we don't discriminate on who's on. It's just, you know, they're just another player. Yeah, that sounds like so much fun. Oh, it I think is. I need- my niece might be able to cope with some walking football. <laughs> I love that you're going overseas as well. That's so yeah. cool. I know we, the, we've had a couple of teams go. We've had um, last two years, um, a men's team has been in the um, the World Walking Football Cup in oh, yeah. um, in Switzerland. So they, they've only oh, just come oh. back from that this year. Um, but look, we, we're doing quite well in it. It's still in its very early days. But, you know, look, it's... Um, for men of a certain age, it's uh, it, it's really good. We got the ladies from forties up, men from fifties, so we play fifties and sixties. But you know, um, it's good. It's if you need a shot. The, um, is it just for the vintage crew, or is that something do you think you could reach out to um, look to for people with disability in the community who who might not? From um, a competition, yeah. From a competition basis, it's fifties um, and sixties men. But at club level, um, we've gone a little different way as it's just about inclusion so we have people of right. all ages in there we've got one dad who comes down with three of his boys and you know that bolsters up the numbers we have but what a great outing for them the youngest one's 13 or something you know a little goalkeeper but he's he's really good um but you know the walking levels things a bit and uh, look the purists will tell you oh i only want to play against other 60 year olds well i'm quite happy to play against them because it makes me push myself a little bit more as well yeah and why not i mean you know look is it let's include everyone it's a modified game let's include everybody and it doesn't matter you know as you said you could be younger with you know i I know certainly there's some young men who in their 30s can't play football anymore because they're injured Mm -hmm. and it gives you an avenue if you can't coach and can't do something else you can still play you don't want to no it's right and and the commitments you know very little got uh, an npl coach who who plays because there's no there's no real outside commitment other than I give up an hour and I just play football. And for someone who's coaching, great fun, you know, just come and do it. Anyway, back to you. Um, yes. You've also been a national representative. You were in the 1993 Universities Tour of USA and you, you played against some, some very well-known and well-credentialed footballs in there. What was that like for you as a, as a young lady to be playing for your country against some of the best players that we had at the time in people like Mia Ham. It was a very exciting time for me. It was sort of heady days as well. I, I'd uh, 
found myself, managed to find myself a scholarship over in the States. So I was the first um, female soccer player that I'm aware of. Back in the day, we didn't have the internet. Mm. So I found myself over in America. So I was in America anyway. And then I'd heard about the university game. So I'd been in touch with the coach, been given special dispensation not to have to come back to Australia to go to their um, training camp. And then headed out to the um, World University Games were in Buffalo, but we actually ended up in um, Canada, in Macmillan at uh, McMaster, McMaster University, I think it was. And, mm-hmm. and the um, the USA had only just won the World Cup, so that was very exciting that we were actually playing against players who had just won the World Cup. Um, there was also Japan was there. So as you know, they're World Cup winners as well now. Yes. Um, they had they had China. There was a, a Chinese Taipei sort of team, like a Taiwan. Uh, Canada was there. Uh, it, it was um, and for university sport in Australia, we don't have the scholarships and the programs for sport that they do in the states, even in Canada. So to have come from Australia and then being in the collegiate programs in America and then actually being able to go to an international tournament like that to see what what they had done prior to going not that there was anything wrong with what Australia did but it was just it was a different view of university sport and that that was uh that I mean we lost 6-0 to the USA mm. but considering where we had come from and where they had come from that was actually a very hard fought result for us. I think we were one or two nil down at half time and um, yeah, to play against experienced players like that who'd been at the World Cup and we didn't have any World Cup players with us because we didn't compete in the back World Cup. Yeah. We had some great internationals but we also had some um, less experienced players in our team. So, uh, and just that ex- that experience and the exposure to to um, their sort of next level of playing and yeah, it was really exciting times of there was. Um, I've tried to sort of find some footage. They did. Um, there was a news station that that uh, took a um, that videoed our game against the USA because that was all a very exciting sort of game. There was like a first, you know, it was the first this, the first that, and there was all these firsts in that game. Mm. And they interviewed us after the game, and the um, the American girls were very much all about. You know, this is where we want to be going with our sport. Like, you know, for the international community, we want these international competitions because, you know, they had to push for the World Cup as it was. Yeah. And it was still so early in the development of the sport itself globally that it was a really exciting tournament. So for so many people in, in on so many different levels, I mean, for us, it was just about being there and competing. But for them, it was about the exposure and the international competitions and... Yeah, so it was it was an early competition, and I'm not sure how the World University Games have gone since because I haven't competed in them or really um, seen them. But back th- for them, it was a very important competition. Mm. Yeah, absolutely, and looking and all part of that progression, like you say, the to see other nations that were ahead in how they approached the game, the professionalism the way the teams, the players themselves prepared for a game would have been a real eye-opener for, you know, what was at that time an amateur sport. And although you probably had exposure at university level, the national level's another step forward. So it's good for people to see what they need to do to, to improve. And I think that's always part of that learning curve is to play against people better than you because 
If you if you only ever played people you could beat six 0 you wouldn't progress. So, you know, playing against a team like the US would have been a fantastic opportunity. A bit like the Socceroos playing Argentina the other night. You know, um, Graham Arnold wasn't worried about the result. What he was worried about was the development of his players. Mm. Yeah, he was really happy with. Um, they had some really good passages of play. I heard him yeah. getting interviews um, on my way home from work, and yeah. I thought, well, that's encouraging. You know, like. Oh, so, so many uh, people are results-driven and go, oh, we didn't beat Argentina, we're a waste. No, it wasn't. You know, we, we had a lot of... We had um, the new lad uh, played in there, um, Jordan, Jordan Boss. Boss. Yeah, he played and, and showed that he's got you know massive potential for a 20-year-old to be taking on Di Maria and people like that, you know. He was grown up with those names. Like, yeah. how awesome. Yeah. And to blood him in, in a... Friendly, never, never friendly at any level, really. <laughs> I've had <laughs> the argument with Pete this morning. That's <laughs> <laughs> no such thing. Yeah. But for people like us, anyway. But, you know, to blood him in a game like that, yeah. to get over, you know, because, like, it can be quite, um, it can be quite overawed, you know, yes. with, with the names and seeing these people, you know, messy in the flesh, like, but, you know, to get, yeah, it, it, you can't um, always be results. Driven. Look, we always play to win. Mm-hmm. To me, it doesn't matter what level, yeah. you're always playing to win. But you have to be able to get out of any game or training session or any coach that's with you. You have to be able to get something out of that to take it inside yourself and think about what then, where's my next step? What next can I do? Oh, better? look, you, you play to win, but you've also got to learn from the, from the, the, the losses. So, mm-hmm. you know, there's, yep. there's a, that's a learning curve. And Graham Arnold was very calculated in what he did and, and how he, he blooded people into that game. So, you know, fair play to him. Look, Sarah, I could carry this on all morning, but I do have other guests I've got to ring. <laughs> yeah, um, cool. Look, great to hear from you again. And uh, thanks for being on the programme. Great to hear about your involvement in female football and the growth of female football over the last years and um, obviously buzzing for the the Women's World Cup, which is less than, what, 32 days away or something stupid like that? It's sure amazing. Is. It'll, be, it'll be here before we know it. Oh, I can't wait. And I can't wait to hear what you guys have to say about it. I'm sure you'll be... Um we have square eyes by the end of it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Or you're getting square eyes from reading all the bits and pieces about it now. But, yeah, it's great yeah. to see. It's all starting to build anyway. Well, well thanks, Sean. Thanks, Pete. Thank Lovely you. to talk to you. Likewise. See ya. Okay. Thanks, Sarah. Bye for now. Okay, Sarah King from Southwest. Um, yeah, brilliant time. Yep. Especially now the, the the trophies coming out. I imagine like Sam Kerr's already in Australia, but those other training camps must be starting to establish now. I think um, the Irish team have met in Dublin, yep. and they'll obviously come out here a week or two before the the competition to acclimatise and truly start to warm up. Yeah, absolutely, it is. Alrighty, uh, we're going to go to a break, and we'll be back after that with John O'Reilly from Armadale. Gate and Fence Hardware WA, your one-stop shop for all gate and fence hardware components, wrought iron, automation and electronic gate security. We can offer great advice and solutions for your project. Trade and layman, welcome. Hardware shipped all over Australia. Contact the team on 92586822 or shop online at gateandfencehardware.com.au. Station sponsor. We are one, but we are many. 
All right, we're back in the room. Now, the NPL is back in action this week, but last week there's some results. There was indeed. Sorrento had a 5-2 win over Bayswater City. Armidale, who we'll be going into depth yeah. with shortly, they had a magnificent 4-0 uh, win in the local derby against Coburn. Yep. Uh, Perth Reds, I probably shouldn't have worn my Coburn shirt today, actually. Um, <laughs> Perth Red Star, 3-1 over Perth. Perth Glory um, went down 3-1 to Balcata Etna. And Florian Athena had a 1-0 win over Inglewood with Olympic Kingsway and Sterling Macedonia's match postponed. Okay, and join, postponed because of the Women's World Cup because the ground's now sanctioned off. All right. Um, okay, joining us now is John O'Reilly, coach of Armadale. John, good morning. How are you? Morning, guys. How are we? Yeah, good, mate. Um, we spoke before the season started. You had um, a couple of new imports coming in. I think they've, they've been a success for you. Um, other than a little bit of consistency, um, how do you, you rate your first half of the season? Yeah, look, we're where we wanted to be. Um, we said we wanted to be in the top four going into the second half um, so that we've got something to hold on to uh, and something to still with something to aim higher for and that's that's where we're sitting at the moment i think we're in fourth yep um so yeah look couldn't complain if someone had said that to me at the start of the year i would have accepted it so um yeah i think we're moving forward nicely yeah it's been a funny season though because i remember halfway through the season the bottom the bottom two were florida and perth (laughs) um which is quite an interesting thing uh in itself but you know it's quite a close competition Mm. all said and done um you know, the, there's not a lot between the teams and it seems like a team at the bottom is more than capable of beating the top side. Yeah, look, at the um, midway point, you've usually got the, uh, the, the, the the teams that are pulling away from everyone. You've got your top two, top four, and then you usually have your two, three at the bottom that are, are drifting and then you've got the guys in the middle that are fighting for the fourth spot. It's amazing to see, I think, what is it? seven points from bottom to top at the moment. Yeah. Yep. Only three wins. Yeah. Yeah. So that's very unusual. Um, Highly competitive and uh, enjoyable for the neutral. Now, as a, as a coach, um, there's been a, a coaching coup, I would call it. And I was, I was hoping to get hold of him today myself is Danny Hay at Perth. Um, Mm. How do you rate that from a coaching perspective for, for the league and for the state? I'm sorry, you just uh, broke up there a second there. Sean had a bit... About da- Danny Hay at <laughs> Perth. How, how do you rate that as a coaching appointment? You know, he's a, a former national um, coach. He's coached in the, the A-League and now Danny's coaching at uh, Perth. So what, what do you, how do you see that? Yeah, look, that's fantastic. Any to attract or bring in a, a coach of that calibre, it's, it's only good for the game. It's obviously good for the club. Um, we've had a few A-League coaches now. Uh, in the NPL over the years with, with obviously Kenny Lowe, Garcia, uh, 
for Gary in the in the setup, Chris Coyne in the setup, and now Danny Danny Hay is uh, in as well. So, no, it's it's, it's great for the league. Um, I wish it could be more consistent. I wish we could have uh, more more A League people involved in the NPL level to try and give us a bit more bit more sort of like uh, awareness for the league and uh, try and improve improve the standards more so. Yeah, I look, I, I think it's a, a fantastic appointment. And look, you're right, we've had quite a few mm. that have transcended from within. But, to, you know, bring one from outside in, I think was really big. A couple of ex-Glory coaches are still coaching in the in the NPL, as you say. Um, and then yeah. Chris, Chris went from um, Bayswater into Glory. And obviously, at some stage, he's going to pop out the other side a bit. And hopefully, um, mm. if he's not coaching A-League, he'll be coaching. Again, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I look. I think this is one of the closest, the most exciting leagues that, that are around. Who do you see winning it at the moment? Oh, well, I think ECU. When you look at the squads, like you've got ECU, they've got Dale Nickel, who's just been absolutely consistent for the last several years. Yeah, um, you can't, can't go past him being a potential gold boot winner and possibly a, a gold medal winner. Uh, and then you put Liam Reddy at the other end of the, mm. the team yeah. um, with, with that defence. So you've got like a, a pro that's, or a guy that's just stopped being pro and then you've got a guy that's still in his, in his peak. Um, yeah. So you, you've got to look at ECU or Dune Love, um, Red Star, and you've got to uh, really kind of expect that they're going to they're gonna be battling out for that first spot all the way to the, to the end of the season again. Uh, but I suppose you're going to do from... Sterling... Sterling show promise, but yeah. then they slip up points along the way. And Bayswater started with a bang, and now have drifted a little bit. So mm-hmm. it's really hard to say um, how it's going to filter out yeah. come the end of the year. Because like I said, no one's really, no one's really stood out and gone consistently. You know, several games with a win, and no one's gone consistently with losses in a row. So um, it's really hard to see how it's how it's going to pan out unless something significant happens in the next three four weeks. Yeah, I suppose well, you, you've just mentioned Liam Reddy. I mean, someone who was, you know, this time last year playing A-League, who's now in between the sticks for a, for a local club. Again, for your strikers going forward, you know, and the, the players that are playing against him or with him, a fantastic growth opportunity there as well because that guy's been there and done it. Yeah, it's, it's always exciting when you play against um, teams that have got players with, with notable reputation because uh, you, you want to test yourself. I know... When we played um, Red Star earlier in the season, the boys really wanted to, you know, that was that was Reddy's first game of the of the league of, of the season for him. So like our boys really wanted to test him. We got a couple of goals, but we just couldn't keep him out at the other end. That was yeah. Yeah. nickel damaging him <clears> at the <throat> other end, as I said. <laughs> but um, yeah, look, anytime anyone comes up against big names, that's that's your chance to uh, to have a look at the way where you sit in the scheme of things, isn't it? Mm. All right, now moving away from from your team and and the league, um, big story this week has been gambling in football and the the profit-making from the government (laughs) bodies by it. Um, What's your take on that story? Yes, when you look at at gambling, it's really a poor man's tax. You know, like I was over (laughs) in um, in Adelaide and we always talk about how the eastern states have got more money because of the poking machines, etc. But what I found sad was that... I was in I was in Adelaide. I had a meeting with with Adelaide City at um, something like nine thirty on a Tuesday morning. Yeah, and there was already two three people in in the uh, in the, uh, the pokey area playing on the machines. 
so like you know it's, it's yes there's more money but at what cost and um you know we've seen cigarettes and and we've seen soft drinks and and other things being pushed out of what is supposed to be a healthy sport and we've seen them being removed from shirts and i think the only thing really that that the vice that's currently still in the game that's advertised openly and probably more so now than ever is the gambling companies mm. yeah so no i don't have an issue with gambling per se but um does it need to be one of the front runners in sport i'd probably say no i think that should be the next thing that should be campaigned out of the game yeah look you say it's a poor man's tax i mean uh... Stocks and shares are a poor man's tax, a rich man's tax. But for me, I'm, I'm a tax dodger. I don't gamble at all, so I, you know it doesn't it doesn't affect me in any way. The, you know, they can throw as many adverts on. I don't think, oh, I must go and throw a bet on something stupid. Um, yeah. So, especially don't like the ads on TV where they make it sound like it's part of the broadcast. You know, here, here are the odds for the game. Yeah, you know, so they're sort of yeah. intertwining the uh, the gambling into the actual broadcast. For for me, and the biggest issue for me, and I think the the journalist that in the four corner story did it quite well, was that it's not the actual fact that the the governing body is entwined in it. It's just that the governing body forgot to let anyone know. Said that they did let clubs know, but no one knows when that happened because really they've not been transparent on it, and that's the big issue for me. Um, I think things like the the um, the streaming of the games that we have, um, the funding yep. for that came from gambling. Um, as much as I'll tell you it didn't, it does, and the only reason it exists is for the gambling. Um, eight or ten years ago, I know um, Phil Kelly mentioned it, um, you know, there's guys sitting in stands with mobile phones, and mm. that's purely around the, the Asian gambling market and the online gambling market. So, that, you know, I don't mind that we're making a dollar out of it. I think the problem is that the governing bodies have kept quiet about it because that money hasn't filtered down to the grassroots. And when you think that you can put money on a game for your 18s, some of whom could be 15, mm. and we've got gambling, you know, people gambling on it. I don't know. It's To me, it just doesn't quite sit well, but then I'm not a gambler. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think what you said there, it's about who's making money from, from our game. Mm. And then um, are, are the clubs and the, and the grassroots of the game benefiting from it? Look, if, um, if the money was being used to fertilise the, the grassroots, the grassroots, I don't have a problem. But it's I yeah. don't think it is, and that's that where it becomes a problem. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And then look, with, with the streaming side of things, um, <clears throat> oh, in in other you know, in pro football and stuff like that. Especially English Premier League, you know, like there's there's a big kickback to the clubs yeah. for the streaming of of the uh, of the league, and um, somebody's making money from streaming uh, and putting putting our games online yes. uh, and presenting to the masses. But yet, there's no significant like you know clubs don't see a check, we don't see a check or a rebate at the end of the season saying, hey guys, here's the money from uh, streaming that. Is, my, uh, is owed to, you know, my point so exactly. There's, there's something wrong there, you know. Yeah, my point something exactly. Um, now, yeah. also, I know you're a big fan of of world football, um, and particularly the EPL. And you know, being a Liverpool man, you'd be interested in the in the transfer market over in the UK. Um, any surprises out there, or you think it's all just falling into the way that the press have been pushing it? It's it's hard to tell what's happening. <laughs> I remember when I was a kid growing up, you'd see an article in a newspaper, and more often than not, it was it was true because you'd hear so little. But um, nowadays, you know, you jump on on Facebook, 
have a little scroll and there's about 20 new players joining Liverpool, 20 new players <laughs> joining Chelsea, you know. Everybody's yeah. attached to something. I think every... it's, it's hard to say, oh, Everybody bar West Ham's getting Declan Rice, you know. It just seems to be the the way, doesn't it? You know, there's so much chatter out there about what's going on. But the the money that's involved is is horrendous. You know, you look at the for some fairly average players, you know, forty, fifty million's been talked. Um you've got um Bellingham who's been on the on the uh, treatment table all season, they're talking stupid money. So I just find it interesting, you know, we we talk about um the players making money out of the game has, has been the problem. I think the problem is that you've got clubs out there that are prepared to outbid each other mm. and that drives up the, the value. Yeah, yeah. And no, unfortunately, that's, that's, that's the way of life. It's, it's nearly got to be accepted nowadays that, that that's the nature of the game. Um, but like, I, I, I feel that there needs to be more control over, over how clubs are able to spend the money. Because, say, for example, right, when we saw Haaland going to Man City. Like, yeah. It's fantastic for the league. It's fantastic that we get to watch somebody who's, who's currently in his prime making breaking records and, and, and currently creating legendary status. But it wasn't, it wasn't exciting because he was going to Manchester City that already has all the best players. It, it was like, it's like when um, America sent their dream team to the Olympics. Yeah. You've got this mm. group of professional, high-level elite athletes yeah. playing against amateurs. And, you know, every week you know roughly what the outcome's going to be. So they're just adding another... But there's an expectation, uh, isn't there? Last year, Grealish went to to City. Now, Grealish was the first name on every sheet that Aston Villa ever put out. Um, He was always the first name on there. Now he's playing at City. He's not always guaranteed to start. Um, You know, and and then they go and buy another person and they're in the market for, for Declan Rice at the moment. Um, and they're looking yeah. at buying other people, and you think, how many can they actually have? And then when you look at the the issues that they've got around their their spending and and the way they went about spending it, and I don't know what's going to happen to them yet. Um, you know, there's a there's expectation that those top five six clubs in the UK have automatic right to buy the best player out of every club, and it what yeah. it does is it it brings that top six into an elite level but everybody else is in an also run category and anyone that they develop is automatically expected to move to these top tier teams mm. and it, you know in the yeah. end of, at the end of the day I'd, I'd love to see another Leicester come up through the ranks and, and do what they did because it just puts the, the yeah. cat amongst the pigeons but that that gets less likely every yes. year absolutely um, a Leicester a Leicester-esque team is going to come through and and, and do something um different mm. you know it, it's getting less and less likely i guess that the closest you could possibly put to that at this moment in time is arsenal in the sense yeah. that they haven't spent the multi-millions that other clubs have they've got a, a a young coach who's still to a degree learning his trade yeah and he's got a group of players that aren't complete yet and they're willing to to, to buy into what their new young coach is is pushing them so in a sort of like a, a less glamorous to the, the Leicester situation, I think Arsenal are currently the team that's that kind of takes that mantle at the moment. Mm. Mm. You know, how yeah. much would we? How much would the neutral would have loved to have seen Arsenal win the league ahead of Man City? After Man City spent all that money, bought in Haaland, we would have loved to have seen Arsenal do it. But oh, unfortunately, 
as, West, as a West Ham fan, I wouldn't have liked to have seen Arsenal win it, but I would, I'd rather they won it than Man City, to be honest. Um, and yeah, look, yeah, I'm not even an Arsenal fan, but I, yeah. like, I'm a football fan, so I want to see things uh, happening that are good for the game and good for the for the neutral, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, we... We like to see good sides play and we like to see good players play. But I just think, you know, for the last two years, the overwhelming consuming thing in West Ham is where is Declan Rice going? And the media tend to push that mainly, but also the agents, because if he stays at the club, then the agent doesn't get a payday. Um, where if he, yeah, signs yeah. For, if he signs for a, a big club like Man City, he's going to get his um, percentage of the 100 mil or whatever it is they, they pay for him. So... Um, yeah. there's there's lots of things around it that I don't like. And then you, you get someone like Grealish who was playing 90 minutes a game for Aston Villa who then goes part-time at, at City and then not always a, a whole game. So, you know, I'd, I'd much rather see the best players out there playing day in, day out. So how do you, how do you feel, uh, Sean, being a West Ham fan, that you're losing, you're losing Declan Rice but keeping David Moyes? Oh, yeah, no, terribly excited about it, you know. Um, yeah, no, brilliant. I, I was hoping we were getting... I thought we were hoping we would get Ange Postacoglu. Ah, mm. uh, yeah. No, uh, he's, he's done well picking up that Tottenham gig. You like, oh, I have to, to hope he I breaks Tottenham the hoodoo done, and does well there, mate. Oh, I have Tottenham done well picking him up. Mm. Yeah, yeah. But I'm hoping he breaks the hoodoo and is able to actually get the best out of them because they've been a basket case for the last... I don't disagree with you there, John, but I, I think, um, you know, you look at his press conference when they were talking to him about it. He said, look at when I went to Celtic. I was a joke. No one knew who I was. or some Aussie had, had coached in, in Asia and no one knew who I was. No one expected anything. And they said that Celtic had made a mistake. And now look at it. You know, uh, and yeah. it's the same now coming into the EPL. They're all going, oh, he's, he's only succeeded in poor competitions like Scotland, where well, there's only two teams. That's also what they said when he went to Yokohama at yeah, first as well. Absolutely, so. and look, the guy yeah. just just does does success, mm. um, and I think, unfortunately, again as a West Ham fan, I hate to say it, but I think he could he'll be the making of Spurs. Yeah, yeah, this, this is potentially think, something good. Yeah, no, look, I, I think he's he's. Obviously, the coach they want. I don't know how he's going to get on with Daniel Levy because he speaks his mind and he won't be shy in telling him exactly where he can get off. So, um, you know, it could be could be the best thing I've ever done. It could be the worst thing I've ever done. But I think he's... Um, I think Angie's he, he's the sort of coach that will work with... When I say he will work with what he's got, I don't think his demands will be as high as the likes of Antonio Conte, etc. Oh, no. like, I don't think he's no. going to be demanding. So I think... That that might work. It could it could be a good fit where you've got a, a, a an owner that doesn't like giving, and then you've got a manager that doesn't mind not asking. Um, so yeah. it's um, it might work out. It might work out in their favour. Oh, uh, look, and I think it'll be interesting. They've got to they've got to try and keep their best players first before they can uh, move forward. But but do they? Angie's Angie's policy is either you buy into Ange Paul or you go, and he doesn't care about reputations. Mm, yeah, no, that that will suit the system anyway. There, at Spurs. Yeah, absolutely. But he might get some, you know, obviously um, Harry Kane, there's lots of talk about Kane leaving this year. And, and in some ways, this is the year that Spurs need to offload him to, to make some money out of him. Um, and knowing what Ange does, he he would buy in someone who would be a surprise that do as good a job. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's, that's, I guess that's the thing with the whole Kane thing is, 
do you keep one star player or can, can they offload him for a good enough price that allows them to bring in two, three more mm. um, young lads that, that, that can step up? But I guess the problem is, is when Kane's not there, there's no out-and-out goal scorer for them. So it's, it's very difficult to let go of a, a consistent goal scorer and hope that you can bring in two, three players that can, uh, that can basically uh, step up and cover what you've just sold. Yeah, that's it didn't. The, that's the juggling. It didn't work for Chelsea, but it, it worked for Arsenal. So, you know. <laughs> yeah, then, exactly. And then you got um, Arsenal looking at, at buying in Havertz from Chelsea, who's been a, a disaster for them. But you know, could work for them because he's a a converted mid. He's a midfielder who's been asked to play up top. Um, so I don't know. It's it's quite interesting. I find that the market itself yeah. is quite interesting to watch. Yeah, yeah, and it's, it's it's definitely going to be very interesting to go forward. What's what's City going to do? Are they going to bring in major changes? Are they going to try and work at it? Now that they've won the Champions League, you, you kind of feel that um, Pep's now in his last year or two at the club. You yeah. can feel that he's he's going to have a new project. But the other thing, um, the other thing is that there's this, this big shadow of all of that financial <laughs> dealings, and and you know there's there's some people talking for them to be relegated to the bottom league so mm. um which is what happens in other leagues it happened to um Juventus it happened to Rangers um you know when they what they've done is quite serious and and the way they went about it was quite calculated so it'd be interesting to see if if someone if the FA have got the the um Kahunis to to do that but um be a massive massive drop for them mm. Yeah, yeah, and there's, there's other there's other stories going to play out this year is whether Arsenal can can back up what they did last year. And then I think with Klopp, I think Klopp's under pressure. I think last year he had a year of grace because of the success from the years yeah. before. But I think if uh, if he starts the first half of the season like we did last year, there could be some serious questions asked. Yeah, well, um, the, the thing is, you've got Chelsea have missed on. out on European football this year. Um, Liverpool are only just in it. Um, so, you know, there's... That's not what Liverpool expect. And well, and also whether Newcastle are going to kick on, you know, like we're, mm. they're, they're, they're like a, a, Monday, a money TNT box waiting to go off. Uh, yeah. They seem to have been quite uh, conservative in the last couple of years. I think they're trying to set some things up in the background so that they don't um, oh, look, the, uh, the, the financial the, fair play. The blood money is one one thing, and having it is is great, and you can do what you like with it. But the the other part of the the equation is you're in Newcastle, so you know trying to get people to the northeast of England is not the easiest task, is it? No, it's not the easiest. <laughs> no, no, but I mean, Manchester. They've got the history and the yeah. uh, the reputation from the past. But yeah, but Manchester and Liverpool. Manchester and Liverpool, you know, twenty-four miles apart. There's a lifestyle. There's a there's a a bustling metropolis music scene and and social scene. And then you've got Newcastle. You know, where if, if you've got the money for a bag of chips, you're not going home alone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, basically. Yeah, I know. Look, it's, it's just interesting. I think Newcastle really are trying to do something. It's whether or not they can establish it in the northeast. You know, I remember when um, Middlesbrough brought in a Brazilian champion, and it made no difference. They were still Middlesbrough, and they're still stuck on the northeast. Yeah, true, true. <laughs> but only time will tell, mate. That's All right, Johnny. Now, season interesting. Your boys are in action against the Glory at home tonight. Always uh, today, just a, always today, a difficult. Yeah, three o'clock at Skeet. Yeah, it's Skeet Reserve. Always a difficult place to come and play football. So, um, good luck this afternoon, mate. All right, mate. Thanks very much. Cheers. Thank you, Johnny. See you guys. Bye. 
Okay, John O'Reilly, Marmadale, um, just his thoughts, Marmadale, and a bit of a ramble through the EPL yeah, as well. Good. Yeah, yeah, no, a bit of fun. Um, all right, we're going to go to a break, and we'll be back after that break with Greg. Oh, so with Haley Roach from um, the Lost Lioness. So we're back in a moment. Hey, hey, it's Futsal WA, the leading futsal organisation in Western Australia. With continually growing men's, women's and junior competitions for any ability levels all year and all around Perth, Futsal WA also provides elite development pathways and competitions for juniors, youth and seniors. The fun, fast-paced social aspect of the game could be the perfect fit for you. To enter a team or to find out more, contact us on 0432 745 140 or simply at www.futsalwa.org.au. You're listening to the World Football Program on Radio Fremantle. We are proud to be the longest-running football show on radio in Australia. Join myself, Penny Tannerhoth, Pete Skeller, Sean Kelly and Hugh Best every Saturday morning in the 10am to noon space. You will hear football conversations with a range of guests and gurus. The show lands as a podcast on our website and you can subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Thanks for listening in to the World Football Program. Radio Fremantle, 107.9 FM. OK, Pete, there's lots of football in and about there, but um, Divi 1 is a, another close competition. Yeah, and we can run through the results from yeah. <coughs> pardon me, from last week. Uh, UWA Netherlands had a 3-1 win over Mum FC. Gosnell City 1-0 over Subiaco AFC. Joondalup United 2-0 winners over Western Knights. Uh, Forestfield United and Gwellup Croatia played out a 2-0 draw and Rockingham City... Had a three-two away win over Fremantle City. Uh, no result. Lots for of, of upsets there. I don't yeah. know how the gambling markets would have gone with that oh, one because uh, <laughs> I think the top three sides all lost. Yeah, yeah, which they, is yeah. yeah amazing, really. To the bottom three, so <laughs> even better. <laughs> all right, um, joining us on the air now is Haley Roach, who is the lost lioness, still in Adelaide, I believe. So, uh, Haley, good morning. How are you? Hello, I'm good, thank you. Good morning to you too. Um, how's the excitement going? Three weeks. To, well, I believe the, the Cup's already in Melbourne, so I don't know quite how it transitions around the country. I know that in three weeks it, it lands in Perth and then off to the southwest before making its way around the rest of the country. But um, having the Cup on here is, is, on Australian soil is, is making it more tangible, more real. Yes, absolutely. And I can't encourage everybody enough. I know you spoke um, earlier about... Um, encouraging everybody to go out and see the trophy. It really is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Uh, last summer, I got the chance to, you know, stand by the um, Euros Championship trophy. Um, so for, you know, um, football in Europe, that's, you know, that's the equivalent of the World Cup. So, uh, yeah, I'm also excited. I can't, I can't wait to uh, find out where I'm going to be at some point and catch up. Um, and also go and get my picture taken with the trophy. So uh, very exciting times, 33 days to go. It is getting very real. Um, uh, and uh, just before I came on air, I did a little bit of searching on on the socials to see what was trending, actually. And um, I don't know if anybody's seen it already, but um, Team USA, Fox, who are the hosts yep. of the Women's 
World Cup in the USA, they've actually launched a bit of a TV promo campaign and it's called Team USA versus Everyone. I don't know. Have you guys had a chance to see it? I haven't seen it. I've heard about it. And I think, you know, the USA very bullish going into this competition, mm. which, you know, it'll either be because they're, they're ultimately confident in their ability to win this or it could be their undoing. I don't know. Well, uh, I've done a little bit of research on the uh, team on Team USA, and they actually spend a lot of time on psychological development yeah. and being mentally strong for games. Um, so, uh, I mean, I encourage you to go and find this uh, this TV promotion because there's uh, there is a bit of a, a hint, a nod to the to the English in there. Um, but of course, it's all you know, right? It's all about rivalry and generating you know that kind of. Uh, challenge between teams and countries so i say bring it on bring on the americans Mm -hmm. Uh, i think they have a right to be a little bit arrogant to be honest i Mm -hmm. think they are probably still the best team in the world they're still ranked number one they've won this world cup more times than anybody else so i you know i think they come from a place of um uh that they're allowed to have that slight arrogance but i think in four years time uh the women's game has changed dramatically and so i think they, they will come, you know, they will see a lot of different skills and challenges that they perhaps didn't see, you know, four years ago. So uh, uh, USA have always really, they've done quite well in leading the way on women's football development. But I think the rest of the world is catching up and certainly the teams in Europe. Uh, you know, we watched the women's um, UEFA Champions League final a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. And that was as good as any World Cup final. That was a magnificent match of skill and ability um, and and fight and toughness and resilience from both teams. It was incredible. So I think the Americans will, um, uh, you know, it'll be, they won't just, it won't be a walk in the park for them this time, I think. But um, I certainly encourage everybody to go out and take a look at that. Team USA versus everyone. It's a a good kickoff. um, And they've really let, you know, put the gauntlet down to say, all right, we're here and uh, we're going to take on the world. Well, I think they've got a right to be arrogant because I was just looking at the overall team records at the Women's World yeah. Cup. Uh, USA have played 50 matches and only ever lost four times. Yeah. So So absolutely. Yeah. That's yeah, that's why they have that, that air of arrogance around yeah. them um, because they literally, they've got the statistics to back it up, right? So um, they do come into this tournament without question um, being favourites. Um, but I'm really excited to see where they now are alongside yeah. you know the likes of the european team that uh, you know the four years it's a long time mm. since uh, since that last world cup especially in the women's game yeah. that yeah. we've seen just uh, the trajectory has been incredible oh, look, so, and particularly in in europe you know the the english um league has really become uh, in that four years has massively expanded and is a much much stronger competition than it was the spanish and the, and the italian yeah. competitions have always been strong um french have always been strong as well so um there's there's three or four extremely competitive leagues in europe which yep. you know by default has also dragged in players from america but also um a lot of women from australia are now playing in those upper leagues in in all of those different competitions so you know the it is evening out, and I, like you said, the the um, the cup final was a, a, a great example of of not just the um, the strength of the competition, 
but the the development of the nations within because you, you've got yep. women from all over the world in those teams now and it used to be a largely French or Spanish side playing. Now those sides have brought in um, Germans and um, Australians and, and you know, people from, from all over the globe that are now competing in that those upper echelons. So I think, you know, the women's game is just getting stronger and stronger but part of that is it's, it's making that band at the top narrower and a team sitting in 10th, like Australia are, um, are quite capable on their day. If everything goes on song, they're quite capable of beating anyone in that top four or five. Mm. Yeah, abs- absolutely uh, agreed with you. So, uh, yeah, the world. I think this World Cup is going to be like nothing that we've ever seen before because I just think that the gap, you're right, is getting getting a bit narrower. There's not much between yet yeah, first and 10th. Um, so, uh, and tournament football, as we know, um, it's all about on the day. So, um, absolutely, yeah. and I think you know, whilst the Americans have, have earned the right to be bullish about what their, their chances are and to be, you know, for another word, arrogant, um, that can also be undone very quickly. And if they get behind by you know a couple of goals against a team they shouldn't be, then all of a sudden yeah. that that confidence that they had is shaken, and it's about how deep they can dig then to to come back. Because if you're so used to winning, that becomes a habit. Um, losing becomes very a habit you can learn very very quickly. Mm. Yeah, no, absolutely, and I think we saw that actually with uh, when England lost to Australia. That was the first game England had lost in a in a run of thirty matches. Yes, um, you know, so so, but at least they've got that under their belt. They've had that long. Yeah, they now know what that feels like. They're not going to go through that again. I don't know when the Americans. Well, the Americans last lost to England actually um, at Wembley. I think yeah. they had a French. And and in the group stages, look, you can lose a game in the group stage, still get through. But you lose a game in the knockout round, that's the only chance you had. Yeah. So again, yeah. you know, they, they if they're not up for it, and if a, they meet a team and any one of those top ten teams on their day are capable, yeah. Um, then yes, it it could go very very differently for them. It could, uh, you know, and America, you're right, the Team USA, they've, they've set themselves up. They, they're out there with all this arrogance and it puts a target on their backs for the rest of the world to actually say, all right, here we go, we are going to take you on. Yeah. So get ready because uh, you, you think you're un- unbeatable. Well, we're going to play really hard and we're going to give you a game. So it does, it does set themselves up for that, um, but they do back themselves up, like you say, with statistics and the arrogance. Yeah. And they've got a squad of depth and experience um, and some, they have got without question they've got some real quality players oh absolutely right, it, yeah. it, on anybody on anybody's day um, you know uh, injury decisions on the you know by the referee whatever uh, it you know things can change very quickly and but, there's nothing uh, there's yeah. nothing Aussies like more than being an underdog so you know that being in yeah. 10th spot is exactly where Australia want to be because that's uh, low enough for everyone. Ah, oh, they're only in 10th, but you know they'll, they'll all play at 200%. So it'll be interesting to see how it goes. And when we're talking about people like Sam Kerr and Caitlin Ford on 200%, that's frightening. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Sam Kerr, uh, as we talk about week in, week out, the best player, certainly the best player in the world, one of the highest paid players in the world, um, and how lucky you are that she's a, an Aussie girl and uh, is going to lead her home side um, this summer. So, but also the pre- that comes with a lot of pressure. I do remember, you know, I wasn't a football player last summer in England, but you could feel the pressure on T20 
Team England on the line yes. when they went out yeah. to play yeah. um, against Wembley. Um, it does give you added pressure, and if you're not used to, you know, stadium football with hundreds of thousands of players and a bit of nerves in, um, and again, you know, the scrutiny of the media and everybody watching, it does add an element of pressure. But it's how you use that pressure and how those nerves translate on the field. You know, what can the team do with that? And I'm sure they're going through all those preparations right now um, and doing the best thing that they can, knowing what is coming. It's not like they don't know what's coming. So, um, but I'm, I, again, I'm super excited, still excited, 33 days to go until uh, till the opening match. So it's all going to be good. Well, I was reading this morning the Irish team have met up in Dublin and, and their preparations have started. I imagine at some point these teams are all going to start landing in Australia and setting up their 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 base camps. And I suppose that's when the real excitement starts because they're going to be out there um, training and people going and watching them train. Mm. You know, again, we're, we're talking about, you know, 200 of the, the best footballers that, that we've got in the world um, congregating yeah. on our shores. It's, it's going to be fantastic. It is, absolutely. I'm sure the grounds and the training grounds and the hotels and all those facilities that will be hosting those players, match officials, they'll all be getting ready now. The pitches are no doubt, um, you know, going under scrutiny from FIFA and uh, starting to be prepared. For the, for the tournament. So, We've got NPL uh, games that can't play on their grounds now mm. because they've been sanctioned off for the, for the World Cup. So, yep. you know, it is yep. starting to happen. Um, and yes, yep. FIFA have been in and, and made adjustments to some of the grounds because I know some of the people involved. Um, so, yeah, it really is starting to, to happen. I think once those bodies start running around on Australian grass, it will become much more real. I still haven't seen an awful lot in the media. Um, and I think, you know, that probably 30 days out, needs to start building. Yeah, agreed. Um, I may have missed this. Have Australia announced their squad? I don't believe so. I don't think they have either. So, no. uh, I mean, I know England announced their squad. Yeah. Um, and, um, uh, and a couple of, I think, uh, the Netherlands, I think, have announced theirs. So, you know, from a domestic uh, side of things, maybe once Australia announced their squad, uh, then the social media, in the media campaign from that playing side of things may ramp up. But you're right, there's still for certain days to go. There's still um, uh, ticket ticket sale adverts that I'm seeing on social. So, but uh, but you're right. Um, and we were talking last week actually that unfortunately that we thought there were still just a few negative stories floating around. Given that we have got the best teams in the world coming, yeah. some of those negative stories tend to just rise to the top of the. The, the media channels. Well, you see, one there's one saying that the, there's not a lot of tickets sold, and then the other one you see that they've they've sold over a million <laughs> tickets. So you know, I, I'm not getting where this is coming from. And obviously, there are some media um, areas which are, are trying to drive a, a negative narrative, but I don't think it's there. And it, you know, when it's easily refutable by fact, um, you know, the numbers of tickets sold have gone through the roof. Um, you know, it's going to be difficult to get tickets if you haven't got them already. Uh, yeah, uh, agreed. Um, uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> a million, a million, a million tickets. Uh, but it's it's difficult to get some. They seem to be releasing them in phases. Yeah. So um, uh, so yeah, don't don't quite know what uh, what that strategy um, looks like. But um, no. hopefully all good. Um, just one, uh, just to follow up actually um, on that topic you were talking about with Sarah. Yeah. Uh, still with the subject of Sam Kerr and. 
how she's been immortalized in Lego and it's yeah. uh, a massive milestone. Um, the, 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 one of the things that I noticed that was very different in the UK around the women's Euros was all the corporates and all the sponsors had female football targeted advertisements, TV campaigns, and it actually became very normal in the UK yeah. to see that. And so I think actually that that once that comes over as well, and we start seeing you know the likes of the FIFA partners, you know, releasing their campaigns and their advertising strategy and their promotional strategy on the back of um, the the FIFA World Cup. I think that certainly um, is a big shift in female role models being seen where we would normally see, you know, the male role in adverts for cars, in sports drinks advertisements or, you know. So I think that seeing Sam immortalised in Lego is kind of just the start of actually what we've got to come. Yes, so, yeah, definitely. Uh, Lego are a partner, I think, for FIFA. So, and what a better way for them to, you know, put uh, put put Lego, uh, you know, in the social media world and, and trending across the channels is to, of course, uh, build the one of the greatest female footballers of our time. So uh, I think, yeah, what we've got to come is going to be very, is very exciting. I agree with you. It does still feel very late, but maybe uh, we're just in for a real big treat very soon. Yeah, I think so. Look, and Lego have been doing it for a while, but uh, I saw pictures of Megan Rappenhoe knocking over the trophy, <laughs> which is made out of Lego. Um, yeah. So that Lego are doing doing quite a bit in their their promotion of the game. I just thought seeing Sam in a, in red just didn't look right. You know, it's either she's got to be wearing the blue of Chelsea or she's wearing the golden green, but the red golden, shirt yeah. didn't didn't work for me. But you know, look, it, it, it gave me the impression they just made the Lego figurine and said, "Oh yeah, that's Sam." Yeah. <laughs> It could, it could, it could have been. Uh, either way, I'm sure, um, uh, you know, from a shares, clicks and likes perspective, they they achieve what they want to. Sam gets uh, down in the history books as the first footballer um, to be uh, named as a Lego character. And so that's still pretty cool. I would have, wouldn't have minded that myself 20 mm. years ago. And the first Australian as well. I mean, when you look at, you know, how Australians perceive themselves, and you know, it's not an Aussie Rules player. It's not. Um, it's not Hugh Jackman. It's it's Sam. Um, that's massive. You know, there was plenty of other people they could have picked on, and we'd all have gone, yeah, no, that's a fair call. Um, but no, it's Sam, and I think that's, that in itself has been underplayed. But um, you know, yeah, to, to, a a to have a female um, of any description, but then to have yeah. a female footballer um, is just massive. It, it is, and uh, I was at a football event actually last night, um, uh, just a social um, uh, grassroots football social. Um, Adelaide Jaguars went along, and they've got age groups, the um, Adelaide biggest uh, women's football club, I believe, and they've got girls from all ages. I think they start at under five, under seven, yeah. running around all the way through, um, and almost every girl you speak to, Sam Kerr, is their idol, you know, and their hero. And how fabulous that a seven-year-old knows no difference to grow up to be like Sam Kerr. So uh, that's how, that's really, you know, what we're seeing from a, you know, from a seven-year-old female football perspective, which is, um, you know, super credit to Sam where she, you know, uh, attitude um, and her profile uh, of what where where that is. Uh, just uh, inspirational, really is. 
Oh, look, without a doubt. And I think she, you know, she does a, a great job um, of promoting the the humility it takes to be at the top of the tree. You know, the, you can see some people get carried away with it and, they're, you know, I think, can think of people like Mario Balotelli that, you know, think that they're the best ever and strut and she does none of that. She's just a girl from Perth who's very lucky to be playing football uh, at the highest level and that comes across. She's just translates uh, an air of calmness and, and an air of evenness around her. She's not someone that's full of all the airs and graces. Agreed. Um, she really is uh, the ultimate female football role model um, uh, in our in our game. Really, she really is. And uh, uh, and I'm sure Australia will get behind, without a doubt, get behind the Matildas. Um, and Sam's uh, a good one to be lead, to be leading that forward. So uh, one other thing to just to follow up on your conversation yeah. actually with Sarah earlier when you talked about uh, mixed football and playing yeah. mixed football. Um, I actually, uh, this is just my opinion on the on the subject. I thought I'd just throw it in there. Uh, last summer, when I was working in Birmingham on the Commonwealth Games, I played. We played social five-a-side football. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, and we'd all take our, our turns in goal and what have you. Mm. And you know, whenever I went in goal, I always felt I had to doubly prove myself. Even now, as a playing football for for forty years, firstly, it was I was a girl, so I had to be good. Because if I wasn't, it would be, oh, she's a girl, don't go nice, don't hit the ball super hard, you know. So not only did I have to, like, be in goal and stand there and be brave between the sticks with men just pelting the ball because actually they probably did it harder because I was in goal, mm. you know. So I, you had to prove that, but you also, was I was still very conscious of they still had that opinion of she's a girl in goal. Do you know what I mean? It doesn't so, la- it yeah. doesn't last very long though because I I played in a game recently where um, Penny was in goal for the, <clears throat> the team I was playing and a couple of them pegged a couple into into the top bins um, as hard as they could and she just dealt with it and after a while they realised we've actually got a goalkeeper to beat and gender became less of an issue but look at I think you've got some misogynists out there that will, will always try and, and lord it over people. Um, and then you've just got the ability of a player. I mean, Penny came out on the park and a couple of little shoulder fakes and she was going around people like they weren't there. It's, it was quite good to watch. Um, yeah, no, and that's, yeah. uh, and that's great. And, th- and when I play walking football, however, I'm not very good at walking football because I'm not very good at walking. I still want to run. Yeah. Um, but when I play the walking football, there seems to be less of that. Um, mm. But it, uh, maybe it's just in certain teams and in certain situations, depends on who you're playing with. Um, you know, they're still... Uh, and I'd love it. I'd love to be... When I'm out, and I think when I'm out on playing on the outfield, there's less of that. Yeah. You know, pe- people go in for a challenge, uh, the same, you know, don't get any special treatment. But I think when there's a girl in goal in a mixed, uh, in a mixed side, I certainly, yeah. even just last year, felt that there was a bit of... The men still wanted to score the goals past the girls. I must, goals. I must admit, in the walking football I played in WA, I've, I've not seen it. And you know, um, I must admit, I've, I've never looked up at the goalkeeper and thought, was there gender before I hit the shot? So, yeah. um, it's not something I would think about. But um, I've not seen it. And they say walking football is just wonderful um, for anyone 
of an age it's uh, it's good i don't have any problems not running my whole body goes i'm cool with that <laughs> yes no, absolutely. I, uh, and i and, and i'm sure the majority of people out there but from a girl's perspective that's how you sometimes you feel oh, you know what i mean i it's can understand it uh, yes yeah. i've seen i've so seen it i i have seen yeah. it yeah there's one or two out there still yeah. yeah yeah so from a girl's perspective you feel like you have to be you have to save every shot you have to get in front of it because if not they're going to say well you're a girl like and there is still that some of that um, that exists out there Oh, look, I think that there is in, in all sorts of football. I mean, I, I'm the same when I stand in goal. I, I believe I have to stop every single shot that yeah. I can. But yeah. um, I have noticed that in, because I played men versus fat as well, um, we had people there that would like three metres out and, and they would absolutely take the skin off the ball without yeah. any without any concern for the safety of the player that's standing in yeah. the goal because they've never played at a level and they've never really considered what damage that can do. Um, and there's no yeah. need for it. I'd, I'd much rather place the ball where I wanted it rather than, you know, just smash it blindly in the direction of someone. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, absolutely. Yeah. And it, it was a social game of football and, uh, you know, it should have been for a bit of a fun. But I just thought I'd add to that topic of conversation yeah. that you had earlier, mm. I just thought I'd add my opinion from a girl's perspective. Yeah, no, I look, very valid. I have seen it, so yeah, I, I agree with you. And, and I think from a from a, a female perspective, yes, having to prove yourself uh, is something yeah. that, unfortunately, you still need to do. I think at some point, but um, you and know, the narrative changing. Isn't yeah, it, we it is changing. It. The narrative is slowly yeah. changing, um, but uh, but occasionally, yeah, and and maybe yeah, it was it, it was it just occasionally it jumped in my head mm. because I am a girl. And, and talking of having to prove yourself. Have the the seventy five Matildas um, mm. been recognised. They they went to the Asian Championship back in seventy five. Um, never been recognised. Have been now, and I think that's a very important step. Um, you know, we talk about embryonic competitions, and you know, people coming from um, one club or one area or whatever. That that's a by the by. When you're talking about an embryonic competition, sometimes that's all there is. So they they go and they go overseas and they represented the country, and they should have been recognised long long time ago. Yeah, uh, again, I think England did the same. They had what they called their legacy caps, and yeah. they you know they recognised um, you know the, the the England teams from you know from the seventies also in the eighties that had no support, got no recognition, no funding, had three or four full-time jobs and families. Yeah. So it, it is very important to, to remember our history and to acknowledge our history of, uh, of those trailblazers and pioneers that, that, you know, represented their country uh, all those years ago. So, And I hope there'll be more of that. I hope throughout this tournament, you know, they, uh, there, there might be more of that recognition. Because, oh. um, that, that's very... Uh, that's, Worthwhile. Absolutely, and so they should be. If they're, you know, the closest city to them is hosting games, they should be up there, out on the ground before or after the game, yeah. collecting the accolades that they deserve. Um, Hayley, thank you very much for being on. I know we are going to to bug the hell out of you for the next <laughs> few weeks, up up till the competition and um, throughout the competition. And somehow, I think you don't mind. <laughs> No, not at all. Happy, happy to be part of the show. It's always good talking football. Excellent. Thank you very much, Hayley. All right, thanks. Okay, that was Hayley Roach, the Lost Lioness. Yep. Um, all right, so we've got 
Division Two. Division Two. Yeah, we do. Uh, I can run through those results for you right now if I pulled the right page up. There we go. Okay, <laughs> um, nearly gave you Division One again. Okay, uh, Division Two last weekend, Kingsley Westside had a one nil away win over Caramar Shamrock Rovers. Joondalup City five two over Morley Windmills. Maddington Kalamunda 4-2 over Curtin Uni. Quinns 2-0 away win over Kenning City. Uh, Belgar defeated Ashfield 3-2. And Swan United had a 2-1 away win over Wanneroo City. Hmm. And, yep. and the fixtures for this afternoon in the uh, second division. Uh, Belgar's away to Maddington... Uh, yep, yeah, sorry, Maddington Kalamunda. Uh, Ashfield away to Morley Windmills. Joondalup City at home against Swan United. Kenning City at home against Caramar Shamrock Rovers. Quinns are at home against Curtin. And Wanneroo are away to Kingsley Westside. Yeah, it's the, the f- yeah. first round of the, or the first game of the second round. So yep. this is the, the back end of the season now starting. Um, so it'll be interesting to see where, where some of those teams end up. There's been um, some changes in form. Yeah. 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 So uh, interesting leagues all round this year. The, the, the NPL State Leagues 1 and 2. Yes, yeah, definitely. Um, big difference in, in the second division table. Uh, as we said with the, the NPL, the top division, it's an incredibly close league this yeah. season. Even here we are 12 games into the season and it's still only three wins between top spot and bo- literally top and bottom spot. Um, whereas the second division table here, there's already a pretty big gap there, canning on the bottom with uh, seven points. Yeah, and look, there's with the, the changes now in the up and down the, the vote, Bottom side is relegated, and yep. the second bottom t- side plays off against uh, a division one side. Co- uh, sorry, a uh, premier amateur side coming up. Yep, so coming there's up. a lot to play for at the bottom end. Yeah, exactly, and that's what we like. That's one of the things we like is the um, you know the relegation battles. Yeah, until you're involved in one, it's not so much fun, <laughs> I can tell you. <laughs> but no, look, it's it's part of the game now, and I think at least now we've got a, a proper. Uh, promotion relegation path. It's quite interesting, actually. On one of the websites, they had um, 1989 season, which was the Super League year. And yep. that, at the end of that year, there was four divisions in State League. Yep. Um, I know because I was playing in the fourth division. <laughs> and the club I was playing for, Calamunda, actually folded at the end of that season yep. because of the the impositions of Football West or the Soccer West Coast at that time uh, were putting in for the following season mm. around ground requirements and we played out of the Ray Owen Reserve up in Les Murdy and yeah. there was no way we were going to have a players race that could get from the, the uh, change rooms to the actual pitch side yeah. and there was other implications within that ground classifications and now we, we, we have nowhere near that. Mm. Uh, I think if the club had stayed on... Um, we would have got through it, as most of the other sides have that yep. were in there. Yep. But it's quite interesting to see that you know we folded because we couldn't meet the ground expectations, and now that we've got teams in the Premier League who are looking to come up, who still really haven't established a home ground. Yeah, yeah. And yet they're looking for promotion from State League into the the um, or from amateurs into the State League. Well, I think what is it? Uh, June Club City already in the second division. They've yeah. been having all sorts of. Well, they've just got they've just got a home base now. I think, I think they have this, uh, with West Perth. Um, yes, AFL, uh, as in Aussie Rules Club. They've, yeah. they've formed a bit of a partnership there. So. Yeah, which have all the issues that we had at Kalamunda. <laughs> 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 just interesting. Anyway, we're going to go to a break. We'll be back after that break with Greg Farrell. Yes. Oh, don't relax. I want elbows and backs. I want to see everybody from behind. 
Oswest Fencing and Raw Iron is a fourth generation family business. Ring us about your custom gate and fence projects. We can manufacture, install or automate your gates, offer electronic security or simply just provide sound advice. Let our family look after your family. Oswest Fencing and Raw Iron. Call us on 9258-6822. Station sponsor. Hey, hey, it's Futsal WA, the leading futsal organisation in Western Australia. With continually growing men's, women's and junior competitions for any ability levels all year and all around Perth, Futsal WA also provides elite development pathways and competitions for juniors, youth and seniors. The fun, fast-paced social aspect of the game could be the perfect fit for you. To enter a team or to find out more, contact us on 0432 745 140 or simply at www.futsalwa.org.au. Radio Fremantle, 107.9 FM. All right, continuing with the trend of football out there, Pete, we've got the women's NPL. I think with all the talk of the Women's World Cup, it would be remiss of us not to go through the women's Absolutely NPL results. Would be. Uh, so last weekend, uh, Mum FC and Hyundai NTC played out a three-all draw. Balcata Etna and Subiaco AFC also played out a three-all draw. Uh, Curtin Uni copped 12 from Fremantle City. Uh, Perth Red Star and Perth SC played out a one-all draw. And in the game last night... Mum FC and Perth SC played out a three-all draw. So there's a very very common scoreline at the moment there. <laughs> and three-all draw seem very popular, Greg. Yeah. Um, Greg Fowler, you're joining us now. Um, how are you, mate? Good, gentlemen. How are you guys? Good, mate. Good. You, you sound a little bit like a robot at the moment for some reason, but um, we'll persevere. Um, three-all draw last week for Subiaco. Yeah, I was just about to respond to that. The three-all draw wasn't all that popular with me last week. But, you know. <laughs> no, no, it wouldn't have been. Um, but it's quite interesting. You've got you know, a lot of even games, and then you've got one wildly um, massive gap game You know, mm. with a 12-0 drubbing. Um, and not, not what you want to see in the, in the league, is it? No, it's... Uh, there's been a lot of things written and a lot of things said about it. it. It's very unfortunate that at this point in time, with the league and with the Women's World Cup and everything positive that is happening, that there's something which should have been handled much, much earlier, before even the start of the season, which wasn't, um, and is now seeing... The, the score lines that we are seeing, but uh, I will, in in trying to put a, a positive note to it, say that um, Harry, who is who is coaching the curtain side, and and the players who are playing in that team, have done a very good job with making the best of a, of the situation. Mm. Um, so I I very much sympathise with with them, with the situation that they're in, it's not certainly not nice turning up every week and and, and conceding goals. They they did have some some positive results in the last few weeks. Um, they I think they had a three or four nil loss to Balcata and, and yep. they or they scored a goal against somebody and they then we beat them three one, they scored a goal against us. Yep. Um, but 
yeah, to, to kind of be highlighting those things as as positives is, is very unfortunately uh, showcasing where that part of the competition is at, um, and it, it it could have been it could have been sorted out if if there was more proactivity back in October November, but the relegation situation this year with the MPLW for the first time will um, hopefully present us with a new solution for next year with clubs like Hammersley doing really well. Hopefully, if their club can be supportive and and get the facilities and, and the backing for for the coach and the players, and, and UWA have got a good setup. Um, there was an interview done during the week where uh, I think someone from Sorrento sort of said they're still a little ways away, but we, we need to have a, a solution for the competition because eight, eight teams is a good number and you don't want to have buyers at this level. Um, no, and so I suppose the other thing is, it's, it's, a newish, it's still a newish competition. Yes, you, you've had an establishment period, but, you know, um, it will even out. And I think, you know, the fact that the other sides are... Whether, whether you like him or not, um, a lot of draws is is showing that there is some evening out of the competition, um, and that that has to happen. And I think you know w- within that you're always going to have a team that is either exceedingly good or one that's just not getting the results that they need. And you know, in some ways, I'd much rather this position than having a team that was head and shoulders above everybody else and untouchable than you know to have one team that's. Un- unlikely to to win a game, but you know it's it's tricky. It's, it's it's certainly not good for Curtin and Harry's a decent guy, and the girls that are playing there are doing their absolute best. Yeah. Um. And in some ways, you know, they're probably learning a lot more than anyone else about themselves and about the game. And and I hope it doesn't destroy them in the process. No. Well, and that's and and that is the biggest thing. And, and you're a hundred percent right that it is probably a better scenario to have this scenario rather than someone that's beating everybody by six and seven and more goals every week. Yeah. Um, and, and we do see this sort of a scenario even in, in professional football. I think Derby County went through two different Premier League seasons several years apart where I don't, I think they, they maybe won two or three games in total. Yeah. So there's not, it's not unheard of, but certainly for the, the balance of the competition, which is getting stronger, um, we, we want to have as much competitiveness as possible and be getting players as many good level games as we can because that's really the best way forward. Oh, so, without a doubt. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, look, and it's it's going to be interesting because obviously we've, we've this year we're just now coming into the, the World Cup phase and I imagine that once we get past that World Cup, um, the interest in women's football is going to double um, and then we'll, we'll end up with a lot more people either coming back to playing mm. or uh, playing for the very first time. So, you know, th- again, we'll, we'll go through another build and, and bust situation, I suppose. Well, and that's, that is a big thing. Hopefully, especially with the juniors, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not so sure there'll be a really big impact with the seniors, but... Hopefully, with junior playing numbers, it'll have a big impact. We'll get a lot more school students, um, even sort of primary school girls who are choosing between 
netball, football, AFL, um, choosing football because they're seeing Sam Kerr at, at Legoland in Karanup and they're seeing the Matildas on TV and hopefully even in person. Yes. Um, yeah. and, and I think hopefully that will be Australia-wide, but if we can increase the participation numbers in the junior levels in Perth, and that was another big thing, was one of the issues with Curtin was that they didn't have any juniors and any sort of youth age group players to fall back on because those restrictions that the MPL is supposed to have weren't in force. Yeah. So mm. they, they were allowed to then not have those things and that's a point of failure which would have supported them at this point in time if they had it. Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, when you're looking at that competition to have a, a junior's base is, is always going to, to put you ahead of the game. But obviously some people don't. I mean, it's... It, Easy coming from a Subiaco's perspective because they've been involved in, in girls' football since day one and clubs like Balcassa have done it very well. And obviously um, Reds now, or Redbacks at the time, again, very exclusively girls. But, um, you know, again, it's, it's new for a lot of clubs and I think, you know, a lot of clubs now, if they want to be healthy, are bringing in juniors and particularly um, female youth players. Yeah, well, and that was having having been at, at Redbacks in the past, and even even at Beckenham um, years and years ago. Yeah, the, the, that emphasis on the junior development is is such a big thing. We don't we don't just get magically get the participation numbers that happened in in boys football, and there has to be an element of hard work to it mm. because it, it's not it's not easy going to schools and. And going to all the different places and, and trying to recruit, but in in trying to benefit the female side of the game, it's just one of the things that has to continually happen. Absolutely, and, and hopefully there there will be a, a corresponding explosion in numbers as off the back of the the excitement and, and everything from the women's World Cup because it is the best game in the world and. We want to get more players playing and give more female players the opportunity. Absolutely, we do. And I suppose one of the first areas that it will hit will be futsal, which I know you're very well grounded in. Mm-hmm. Um, and you've got your winter season starting very shortly, don't you? Yeah, so we, we've started our, our elite winter seasons have, have commenced last weekend yeah. uh, with the Super League competition. So we've got um, men's and women's divisions and then juniors starting at six and seven year olds and then the social futsal winter competitions some of them have started and, and some of them are starting in the next week or so um, and, and again we cater to to all and sundry there's men's women's mixed um, youth and, and junior opportunities so anybody who wants to get involved there's Mount Lawley Futsal Club West Perth Futsal Club in Netherlands and then the, for anyone looking to do anything at a higher level, there's the, the Super League, which is played in Subiaco. And not too late for people to get involved in those levels now, even that some of those Super League teams would encourage a player or two in? Mm-hmm. Oh, most definitely. Like We've got we've got players who play in the, the men's and the women's NPL and the, the, men's, well, the, the men's State League and then the women's uh, women's League 1 and, and 
lower divisions playing throughout those competitions. So it's, it really is for anybody. Um, and, and there's always a, a side who's looking for for an extra player or two, especially a goalkeeper. <laughs> they, <laughs> yeah. they, they, they tend to be worth a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely they do. There's not many people put their hand up to, to jump into goal. So, yeah, it's a, it's a very different position. It takes a very brave person to um, to put their hand up, especially given the fact that you are the last line of defence. Yeah, yeah. look, I regularly fill in as a goalkeeper. In fact, I, I used to play as a hockey goalkeeper when I was at school. So for me, in those small-sided games, it's quite familiar territory. But I, I tend to play a bit like a hockey goalkeeper, which doesn't help. Sorry. I was just curious. I was going through the uh, Senior Super League rules here from your website. Um and it says a senior team, minimum of five registered players, that makes sense, uh, and a maximum of 18. Do you get many Super League teams that get even near that many registered players? I would have thought the average indoor, the average futsal team, you'd have, you know, six or seven be the the, the most common number, the, the, the peak range. Uh, for for social futsal, yeah. yes, that's, that's sort of common. But um, you, you're talking about a so the social futsal sort of basketball level courts are are around 400, 450 square metres whereas the the international futsal court which we play the Super League on is 40 by 20 so it's 800 squares. When you're talking about really high intensity games played on basically double the size court, if if you're trying to play at an elite level with less than 8 players you're you're going to struggle. Okay. Um, and and we, we definitely had, had clubs and, and teams in the past that would try and play with, with six and seven, um, mm. but they've sort of fallen by the wayside because they just couldn't keep up. If, um, you're, if you're having to make, make a sub every two or three minutes because of the intensity of the game yeah. and you've only got two subs, you just can't do it. Okay. And also, in this modern labour market, you've got people that are FIFO, people work shift work. Mm. So, you know, having a large number of people in that roster would actually allow you to absorb some of those um, shift patterns. And and that is very much a, a WA thing. So <laughs> we do have quite a lot of FIFO workers, which sort of gives that element of fluidity to, to some of the clubs, but it also makes them adaptable because with um, so qualification rules for finals and that sort of stuff, you have to play in, in 30% of matches, yep. but it means that if you've got a player who's just gotten a new job or whatever and their circumstances have changed, they're still able to participate at, at the level that they would like to without sort of being punished by a change of circumstance. Yeah, no, it sounds really good. Um, and it, look, as you said, it caters for everybody. So no matter what age you are, um, you know, futsal's a, a very predictable surface. The the play of the ball, very good for your close ball control. Um, and, as you, you know, the the high intensity of the game, you, you get to play a lot of football in a very short space of time. Yeah, yeah well, and, and one, one big selling point at the moment is especially for the Super League that you are... Um, you're inside, you're warm, and you're dry. Yeah. <laughs> That's a big thing these days, yeah. At my age, I'm, I'm starting to rust up, so getting out in the rain's not a good thing for me. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, and given the weather that I think we're supposed to be expecting over the next sort of 
four weeks as well. It's certainly, uh, obviously, being involved in the outdoor game. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday nights out coaching. I uh, quite often think back to earlier in the day or earlier in the week when I was inside looking out and, and enjoying the, the hard surface inside, not slipping and, and not getting rained on. Mm. No, absolutely. <laughs> now, the Women's World Cup, um, 33 days away. Do you, do you feel the anticipation building? Are you getting excited about it? Oh, most definitely. And we've got... Well, we'll have another headache in the next little while because we're going to have players who are heading away to games over east. But you can't help but get excited about it, especially as, well, I'm just below 40 at the moment and and this is my first opportunity to see a World Football Cup at home. Um, And it, it, it will potentially be the only opportunity in my lifetime. So we have to make the most of it. No, absolutely. I'm 20 years on from you and it will be the only one I'll ever get an opportunity to. So, you know, it is very, very special. Um, the trophy is doing the tour in about three weeks um, and I think that's when it starts to, to look real and I think some of the um, the training camps will start to lob in in the next week or two. And again, once we start to get that influx of those players coming in, it will start to ramp up the excitement and the interest in, in the World Cup and uh, become very, very real very quickly. Oh yeah, and some of the like the promotional stuff. Seeing seeing <laughs> Sam Kerr with her little Lego piece was was just such a cool thing. Like you think about the footballers that we've had play and be successful overseas, going back generations. Oh yeah, even just re- even just yeah. recently, like Frank Frank Farina and Harry Kuehl, yeah. Tim Cahill, Mark Viduka. Yeah, Sam Sam Kerr has a. Sam Kerr has a, an immortal thing with the, the Lego piece and only a month out from the World Cup, hopefully, again, like I said, there's an explosion coming in yeah. the female side of the game, but we just need to support it. Look, I keep saying this, you know, the thing is she is the first Australian, never mind sport or gender, she is the first Australian to be immortalised in Lego. While some people don't see it as a thing, it is a thing. Um, and very much that, A, the first Australian immortalised in Lego was female is huge, and the fact that she was a female footballer from our code is even bigger. Mm. Yeah, it was, <laughs> it was really cool seeing, seeing the photos online. And <laughs> even even the, the, um, the court that was built at, at Scarborough Beach for... Oh, yeah. Um, a little while there was another good initiative. Like, hopefully, all of these things build up, and and well, it would be nice if if we could win the World Cup on home soil too. Oh, oh. dream big! <laughs> You've yeah. got to dream yeah. big. Yeah. 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 That we love an underdog, and there's no reason why we can't um, on their day. Australia can beat anyone. We've just got to make sure that we have a series of days. Once we're out of those um, group stages then it's just, you know, one against one and anything can happen. Yeah, well, and I think um, I was reading an article yesterday about Tony Gustafsson's sort of selection headaches, as it were, but some of the selection headaches he's got are are probably very good ones. There are a few few injuries and that sort of thing, which is disappointing, and hopefully, hopefully they come good, but... Some of the selection headaches that you're talking about are Sam Kerr, Courtney Vine, uh, players that are just exceptional where 
in the past, we probably didn't have 17 or 18 players mm. playing in some of the top leagues in the world where now we do. Absolutely we do. And I think, yeah, it's, it's a great time to be involved in women's football. Greg, thank you very much for your time. Um, we'll speak to you again shortly. I'm, I'm absolutely certain of that. Yeah, yeah thank you, Jens. You have a really good day. You too, mate. Cheers. See ya. Thanks, mate. Okay, Greg Farrell, um, looking forward to the World Cup. As we all are. As we all are. Yeah. Now, Pete, thank you very much for being on today. Um, no can't remember who's in next week, whether it's Penny or Hugh, but uh, the show will be back next week. Thank you for listening. Lenny, we in with the Jazz Show next. Join us again next week at the same time for the World Football Programme on Radio Fremantle 107.9 FM.